it's just easier often to remember our experiences and, and to to really have them become a part of who we are if we have if we've experienced them in a bodily and tangible way rather than just being told about something. You know, when you're telling a story, it's about driving empathy with a particular scenario that somebody could be in. As for why it's so effective, uh, I think that that's kind of what we're all trying to figure out. You know, you know, like that's that's the million dollar question is why is this format so much more effective in terms of creating transformative potential for people. The people who come to immersive experiences are looking to throw themselves into something. They want to be a part of something. And so I think that there's an openness that lends itself to accepting a transformative experience. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. This week, we have not one, but four truly phenomenal guests. This is the first part in a roundtable discussion on immersive entertainment and its relationship to real experiences in the real world. Caroline Murphy, Jessica Crean, Justin Files, and Risa Puno, all of whom will introduce themselves in just a moment, guide us in exactly the kind of thought-provoking, assumption-challenging, and nuanced conversation that we here at Immersion Nation think is vital for the beginning of any cultural movement. Welcome. All right. So, just to start off with, for any of our listeners who have not gone through all of the episodes with you guys in the past, um, could you just go around and say super briefly your name and what you do so that they can identify you by the sound of your voice? Well, I'll start. Hi, folks. Uh, My name is Caroline Murphy, uh, and I am a uh, chief creative officer at Encantrix Productions, which is uh, an immersive company that makes interactive theater experiences. I also teach at Northeastern University, and I am looking to be pursuing my PhD there in a uh, dual theater and games uh, PhD program that is going to be rolling out this fall. Hi, in the vein of games and immersive theater, my name is Jessica Crean, and I'm the founder and CEO of I Can't Co-On, which is um, an immersive design company focused on immersive theater and game design, and usually combining those two things into playable theater experiences. And I also teach game design at Drexel University and CUNY City Tech. I'll follow that up. Um, my name is Risa Puno, and I'm an interactive installation sculpture artist. Um, and a lot of my work is game-based. Most recently, I created The Privilege of Escape, which is an escape room designed to address social privilege and systemic inequity. And hey, I'm Justin Files. I'm the co-founder of Any One Thing. Uh, we're in a, a London-based immersive theater company. Uh, we incorporate a lot of technology and personalization into our shows. Um, and we do kind of like hyper-real um, drama that only lasts about an hour long. Um, and it, tr- it tries to drive empathy with modern day sort of challenges that people face. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, everybody. So moving from there into the first topic, being the impact of immersive experiences on participants, 
This is something I think that we probably touched on in our individual conversations in one way or the other in the past. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts insofar as why immersive and lived experiences um, you think they are so impactful or have the potential to be so impactful in a tangible way. I think immersive experiences are really great because it's just easier often to remember our experiences and, and to to really have them become a part of who we are if we have if we've experienced them in a bodily and tangible way rather than just being told about something. But if our actual body, if all of our senses have gone through it, it's just a lot of ways that that can imprint on our system. Uh, so I think immersive, just by virtue of the fact that so many senses are engaged, is really great for for having this become a really um, a really meaningful and memorable experience for folks. And compounded with the fact that it's usually, not always, but usually a social experience, we have other people around us to relate to, to remind us of these events, to have been like building strong memories with throughout the course of the piece and beyond. So it's just a lot of ways for something to become embedded in, in who we are and what we would take out into the world after an experience. Totally. I, I would love to piggyback on that and just say, you know, when you're telling a story, it's about driving empathy with a particular scenario that somebody could be in. Um, and we happen to have a medium that, that we all work with in different ways um, that allows people to, to feel that firsthand, not just as an observer through a screen or through, you know, a proscenium play uh, style scenario, but to actually maybe think of themselves as a character in that as well. Risa or Caroline, do you have any thoughts before um, we kind of open the floor to discussion on this? Well, I just completely agree with everything that's been said so far. Um, as for why it's so effective, uh, I think that that's kind of what we're all trying to figure out. You know, you know, like that's that's the million dollar question is why is this format so much more effective in terms of creating transformative potential for people than any other format out there? Um, and if we can figure out precisely what that is, then we can uh, really bring that forward into different types of technologies as well. I love that word transformative too, because it, it really is that. And I feel like, you know, there, there are shows out there um, that are, you know, just a fun time and stuff, but I would say that the vast majority of shows that are in this um, medium are really trying to transform people in one way or another, um, especially on the dramatic side of things. Um, you know, we can do things that you can't really do in film. Like in film, you can empathize with a character scenario, but here you can, you can be that character. Um, and I think in order to be transformative, um, you know, th having people be in the scenario that they're trying to empathize with is huge. Um, I think I said this before uh, when, when I was on the show, but uh, we're hugely influenced by Odyssey Works in New York who are, you know, they put on a show kind of like a game with Michael Douglas. That's like for one person, it's put on by producers from all over the world that that come and, and go to a summit and, and make this thing for this person or imagine what it takes to develop a show or like an experience for one individual. You need to really understand that person and you need to empathize with them as well. And that in turn gets them to empathize with whatever it is that you're trying to, uh, trying to display. I also think that um, part of it might be that immersive audiences are sort of self-selecting group. It's the people who come to immersive experiences are looking to throw themselves into something. They want to be a part of something. And so I think that there's um, like, uh, an openness that lends itself well to accepting a transformative experience. 
Yeah. And because the fourth wall gets broken, it creates this kind of opportunity to say there are really no boundaries between the people who are telling the story right now and those who are experiencing it. Everyone's just in it together. And that's a feeling that we don't always get in the real world. And if it is, sometimes it's so coupled with otherness. Uh, but usually in immersive experiences, it's it's not so uh, adversarial. And so there's this opportunity to really be a part of something that I think we often crave and that, uh, as Risa said, really opens us up to an experience in ways that we wouldn't otherwise necessarily open ourselves up to. This might be veering into the territory of um, interactive uh, as a form of immersive, but a lot of immersive theater is also provides a lot of agency for the participants, not just the performers. And so if you are in a, in a situation where you are able to make choices for yourself and others, rather than just respond to choices that have been provided to you, that also becomes a really powerful opportunity to get in touch with yourself. You're not being told what to do. You're genuinely in a situation where you have to be making a decision. And so that has to be, it has to be you who is doing that. Um, and I think if you are sort of reckoning with how you make choices in these moments, then if it's structured in a way that is really compelling, it's sort of hard not to be transformed by that experience. Yeah. 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 I I completely agree with what, what everyone's saying. Um, I, I think that it's really a very special sort of thing to give someone the, just the opportunity to imagine themselves differently right? Sometimes it's, you know, we're providing this, you know, the, the concept of an alibi for someone for them to kind of step into a different character role or, or into a different world and ask some interesting questions. Uh, sometimes when people put that mask on, they find that there are un, uh, unseen needs that they had that they're able to identify when they actually are in that different space that then change the way that they see themselves outside of that space as well. So, you know, I think that providing that opportunity is really the goal of what all of us are trying to do. <laughs> and it really gives one the opportunity to examine the masks that we inadvertently wear on a daily basis. It's really easy to get caught in a rut almost mm-hmm. of being in one role and thinking of kind of the decisions that you as that person in that role would make and having the opportunity to explore agency in a role that is just so unfamiliar, I feel like opens a lot of, a lot of opportunities for self-awareness in the vein of what you're saying there. Exactly. Definitely. I also like in, you know, we have a show on right now called Sumir, um, which is just about, it's about relationships and it's about mortality and it's about technology and that sort of thing. But for the first 20 minutes of the show where the audience has the most agency, they, I mean, honestly, it's not really unlike any other birthday party you'd go to as a plus one where you don't really know anybody, but you kind of do. And like, you're, do you jump in and say hi to people or whatever? And that really lulls people, you know, the hyper reality of that lulls people into, okay, I feel comfortable now. And I think it's actually once people feel comfortable, whether they're assuming a role, you know, like in, in, in something where you're kind of uh, entering a new world as, as a piece of escapism, or whether we're making you feel comfortable in the world that you're already in, but then we're going to flip it upside down. I think it's making people feel comfortable first that then allows you to really break through and, uh, and, 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 you know, have them feel empathetic towards what it is that you're trying to say in your story. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Um, and then speaking to kind of like zooming out 
um, this concept of transformation and the way that immersive can enable empathy and transformation. Like just high, kind of hypothetically, what do you think it looks like when, if slash, I advocate for the idea of a certain when, um, immersive experiences start to become prolific enough that this is maybe not part of people's everyday lives, but maybe on a semi-weekly basis. Um, what do you think that future might look like if scaled out in that kind of way? Oh, wow. I hope my, my hope is that it means that people are going to be doing a lot of really healthy self-examining and, and that that will lead to, you know, really unique outcomes and like positive change for people personally. Yeah, me too. I hope that so much. Um, the first thing that came to mind is a little bit bleak, but I'll share it anyway until my brain gets to a sunnier side. Um, the the thing that the thing that I fear happening is that as this world get it gets expanded out, it gets defined uh, in ways that are are not necessarily uh, that are maybe a little bit too constricting for what the medium can do. I feel like I've seen little inklings of this where the agenda is starting to get set in a way that says like, we are going to define what these things are. And yet the people doing defining about the world of immersive are not necessarily like the most diverse community, or it's a community that has a lot of money um, or relatively speaking, a lot of money. And so when I think about the future of immersive, if it's going to get built into our daily lives, I hope that the people who are setting a foundation for what that looks like are a diverse group of people. So that we're not just building something on what the maybe the early voices have to say about about where this where the the industry uh, should go. Yeah, most certainly that that that's that's a really significant issue, um, especially because creating immersive experiences is so resource heavy. Yeah, and it would be great if we're looking at you know day to day immersive if we can stay small and have that still be significant in some ways. Uh, I feel like the, a lot of the things that I make are um, uh, compared to some of the scale that is out there, much more individual and small group. And I think there are, there's space for even, even smaller experiences that have profound transformative potential. Yeah. I, I would even argue that the smaller the scale experience, the, uh, the, the more intimacy that's involved with it, the greater potential there is immediately. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like our, our last show had had five audience members and this show has 15 and we've played around with audience size, even pushing that up over 20 to, to something like 25. Um, and it's just a little bit different with it, without the amount of cast that we would need to kind of support that. Um, I think one of the things that happens in an intimate experience like that is they're it kind of breaks down the boundary between audience and cast and you don't really know who's who because you have a personal relationship with all of them. And I think that that is really important in bringing people into storyline. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I fully agree that, um, that it's important to think about whose, whose voices are sort of crafting the narrative for the entire industry um, and for the medium. And I think that um, inti intimacy is a huge part of, of how things have impact and how, um, in order to preserve that sense of agency, that sense of sort of responsibility in the moment, I think that, um, yeah, I think intimacy is a huge part of that. I guess my question is, and this is like kind of a weird devil's advocate thing is if, if one of the things about an immersive experiences is that it takes you 
into a different place outside of the normal everyday, what happens then if it becomes part of the everyday? Like, does it lose um, anything, any sort of preciousness or is it, or does it lose its sort of separation? And is that, is that a good thing? Is that a thing that like the industry is going to have to work around? Oh, that is the hardest question. I think about this uh, all the time. And I also think about it from the perspective of it is so hard to document what we do uh, and to show people what it is we do. And like there's no good way to show someone how an experience is. Um, And that kind of crushes me as a creator because I really want to be able to document and show the, the really cool work totally. I'm doing. But at <laughs> the, the amount same of time, <laughs> yeah. The amount of times where somebody's like, oh yeah, do you have it on film? I want to see it. It's like, no, it's not a film. I'm like, how dare, how dare. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But, and, and then we kind of lose that ephemeral quality. And I think that maybe some of the power of it is the, is the ephemeral quality of it. Maybe it makes it more special that you can't quite capture it. Um, and like uh, Jessica was saying, it's kind of this uh, this question that arises for us of, well, if we're if we're starting to define things and document things and say what this is or isn't, then is there a point at which we uh, we over kind of over methodologize or over uh, you know o- overthink it to, and then create frameworks that are not actually going to be helpful for people. Uh, where one of the beauties of this medium is the fact that it is so open. Yeah, and I think that really comes back to the idea and the just incredible vital importance of making sure that the future of this industry is more diverse and continually or continuously trying to be as diverse as possible because I feel like that is very likely the one thing that can effectively counter the homogenization of immersive experience design and creation overall. Yeah, absolutely. Like the diversity of experiences and diversity of thought is so, so important. And I, I think we're at a place right now where like the more space we make right now, the more space there's going to be in the long run. We have the, I think a possibility of having a really exponential impact on that by taking great care now, which I think a lot of people are doing and it can still be obviously done much, much more. And I'm really curious what happens to this idea of, of mystery. And like, I so relate to what Caroline was saying about this, what we've all been feeling. It's so hard to talk about the work sometimes, especially if you're doing hybrid projects or you know that, uh, as Justin said, like you're going to flip someone's world around. You can't tell them what that flip is going to be or the mm-hmm. flip loses all of its flippiness. So how do we, how do we say, Hey, trust me, (laughs) you know, like how do you earn someone's trust without really being able to give them the information that they are curious about in the beginning? And so building up really sort of like a large scale trust with the the rest of the world about what can happen uh, feels really complex, but interesting and very much rooted in, in how much we're going to be able to provide mystery for folks to say, I'm going to give you X amount of information, but not X times two. Here's what you get. And that's it. Come experience this for yourself. Right. Especially as we start to play around more in these psychological spaces, right? Where now we're asking for people's trust and we're saying, let me mess with your brain and your emotions. I promise it's going to be okay. (laughs) Right. And I think a lot of that comes down to brand. I mean, I know that's like the unsexy thing to say, but look at Punch Drunk. They've done such a good job with that. 
Um, and nobody, like if Punch Drunk comes out with a new thing tomorrow called like Circus Clown Alley, right? Like you're going to go watch it, even though it doesn't sound like anything else I've ever done before, just because it's a Punch Drunk thing. And you trust that what they're going to do uh, is going to be something that's worthwhile. Yeah, that's so true. And and still Punch Drunk has had their share of you know, controversy over the way that their uh, their employees are, are working. And um, they were sort of at the forefront of like, what do we do with this relationship between performers and audience members when it gets less than uh, like a clean break? Um, so they've been you know, sort of spearheading what to do in those instances, but also have made many mistakes along the way and yet are still on this, the top of this world where we will all definitely go to what they do next. Um, so how many companies sort of get a chance to to go through that process, that kind of learning process and how we learn from each other feels really integral to how we grow as an industry. Um, Risa, actually, on that note, I'm curious what your experience was around that, because I know that the brand of creative time probably helped a lot with the trust dynamic insofar as people being curious and you know, feeling safe going into the privilege of escape. But insofar as like that conversation, I think that you had on a plane with someone that you wound up inviting to the privilege of escape. Like what was that, what was that conversation like insofar as taking someone from knowing nothing about maybe creative time or what an experience like that might be and bringing them to a place where they would be interested and, you know, excited and trusting of experiencing something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. So the the conversation was actually with the flight attendant and she was saying she was only going to be in town for a couple of days and, you know, wasn't sure what she was going to get into. And I said to her, I was like, cause this was, um, I, I was doing a residency in Vermont in between the first and second run. And so I was like, oh, you should come to my project. It's, it's this thing. It's called the privilege of escape. I dropped my card on her. I told her a little bit about it, but otherwise it was like, pretty much, I mean, it was at least blind faith when she started looking it up. Uh, by that point, the, the New York times article had come out. So that was, that was pretty, pretty, uh, good in terms of probably making it look like a legit thing. Um, but I think, and I think that's largely due to creative times name. I mean, that's wholly <laughs> due to creative times name. Um, I think it was definitely, a risk on their part to take on the project because this was their first ever open call where anybody could apply with like whatever wacky dream idea they had. And, and I couldn't think of anybody who would be willing to take on something like that, like a public art project that's an escape room is already weird enough, but then you bring in privilege, which is basically like the third rail of social justice issues. It's like that, that was tough. And, and I'm so grateful that they were willing to take that risk. And I definitely think it's because they have a 40 year history of bringing, um, thoughtful, like evocative projects, um, that people were willing to do it and people were willing to sign their lives away with the waiver and walk into a situation that they didn't know about, especially since I think most of our, um, visitors had never even done an escape room, let alone, whatever they thought we might put them through. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> New York times definitely helps there, but I, that, that idea of it being the third rail of social justice issues that that sticks out to me um, in a big way. It is something that it's like, it's thorny enough that people 
despite New York Times and Creative Times, could be a little bit leery about participating in, without a doubt. And building that building that trust, I feel like, is going to be a really significant process in just potentially broadening the span of awareness that's attached to immersive experience as a thing in general. And hopefully broadening the that group of self-selecting people who are interested in going out and doing actively participating in something rather than, you know, sitting back and, you know, engaging in voyeuristic entertainment. I think it's almost, if this may sound vaguely grandiose, but it's almost a process of reshaping what we understand as entertainment as a general concept. Sure. I also think it's, um, it's a funny thing because we ask people to trust us. Um, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of immersive experiences kind of tease back and forth with, um, like for example, something we did was there, when you walked into the space, there was this sort of background sound effect that, um, I affectionately nicknamed spaceship HVAC that was supposed to be intimidating and make it feel like this place was much bigger than it is. And, and to, to heighten your sense of anticipation, your sense of just like to make you more nervous. I mean, that was our emotional goal for that. And it's funny because it's like, we're asking people to trust us, but then we do things to, to make them nervous to, to make them sort of almost waver in that, but not completely drop that, which I think is a lot of times part of, part of the thrill, part of the excitement. And I think that that adrenaline is what helps lock it in for them. Like they say that, um, that experiences with adrenaline, um, can, can help store in long-term memory. Yes. And there's a, so there's a concept that's used in behavioral psychology called a pattern interrupt. And I think that some of those emotional goals that we put in there as designers are really designed and co- to, to cause a pattern interrupt for someone, whether it's a, a you know a, a heightened sense of fear and anticipation or an overwhelming uh, feeling of disgust or a um, you know just placing someone in that uh, disquieting or uncomfortable situation. Um, can really help them to access emotions that they have riding below the surface, which is really powerful. That's really, that, that reminds me a lot of like game design too. I feel like, like not only from a design perspective, that we, we've kind of already in this discussion come up with, you know, the, the idea of people coming and being kind of uncomfortable in a, in a physical scenario. But honestly, I feel like for people like, 35 and under, you know, we grew up with, with video games, which have a sense of agency and they have a sense of, uh, surprise and they're kind of long and open-ended and you, you can enter a world, uh, you know, outside of that if you want to. And I, I think that, that, you know, in game design, you know, you approach a lot of those sort of psychological things that, you, that you're trying to get people to feel a certain way. But what's funny is that I think as like a punter, as somebody that, that's playing a game, you know, you're used to having that type of agency. People our age feel that way. And, um, you know, going to something like what any of us create here is almost like a little bit more natural than going into a theater and sitting down and watching people, you know, orate very directly at the audience and that sort of thing. Um, we're just taking the screen away. Yeah. And sometimes the rails, yeah, yeah, in a lot of cases. It's amazing what you can kind of 
get away with topic wise if you have a, a story behind it because like games I mean games provide so much agency and theater is on the whole historically really good at story and if you put those two things together people will kind of follow you anywhere I I did a, a sort of a pop-up museum immersive piece about philosophy and ethics this year uh, and uh, the philosophers that were that had sort of like exhibits about them in the piece, which were all games, were philosophers like Hannah Arendt, who studied, um, who did her research after World War II about Nazi Germany and trying to figure it out, figure out what makes people evil. Uh, and so you can sort of create it, funnily enough, games about that and folks will come and feel really playful about it right up until the moment that they no longer feel playful. And that's what they came for. I remember having people walk out of that piece and back-to-back shows, people would come out and say, wow, that piece really made me think. Wow, I'm going to be thinking about this for so long. And then others would come out and be like, "Um, that piece made me think. Mm. And so figuring out this sort of boundary between how much people actually want to be guided on an experience versus having their own agency has been super interesting and something that I imagine we all wrestle with pretty often. Absolutely. Next week, we'll start by talking about the design of internal experiences with experience design. I guess that's kind of a question that spiritual practices have been asking since the beginning of time. I think that the manipulation of emotions, I feel like that's a time-honored skill, tradition. You see it in everything from music to art to courtrooms. Like the question of medicine or drugs, you know. And unfortunately, we also encounter some technical difficulties. Mm. Um, I think their audio has cut out briefly here, so. Hello? Hello. Yay. So exciting. Yes, a platform that actually works. (laughs) Uh, What did I miss? But until then, I am looking at an adorable little pie chart that says that 68% of you wonderful people are at this moment listening on some sort of Apple or iOS device. If that's you and you think these conversations are at all important for the immersive community, please take just a moment to review the Immersion Nation podcast on iTunes. That moment not only makes a world of difference for us, but goes to support all of the brilliant immersive creators that we have on this show. And if you do, we want to say thank you. We would love to give you a shout out by name on the next episode. And sincerely, thank you all for joining us on this adventure.